73% of Americans, according to a 5W Consumer Relations poll in 2020, say that they actively factor in the values a company espouses before they shop there. 73%. Now, for a lot of us, we do this subconsciously. Where's my products made? Who makes them? How are they sourced? What ingredients are in them? Uh, we make value judgments all the time. It's kind of natural that we would also make one in this hyper-politicized era of like, do these people hate me? Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding, where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. And I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. We are broadcasting today from the Pray Vote Stand Summit in Washington, D.C. The goal of every episode is to help you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ about whatever it is that you are doing and building a life that develops that habit. What am I doing today in my, in the, you know, my free time, how am I spending my money, what am I thinking about, what are my activities, what am I investing my life in, am I doing that in a way that is um, intentional and that is consistent with the worldview that we believe as Christians, that Jesus is Lord over all, that we are slaves to Christ, and that we get to do what he assigns us today. And that's, that's our goal. And so um, we're going to talk today about thinking biblically about where we spend our money. And my guest today to help us with this effort is Michael Sievert, who is the president and founder of Public Square. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And I'm not going to say any more about Public Square. I'm going to let you do it. Okay. Tell us, you know, what this thing is. Well, we are the nation's largest marketplace of businesses that honor the Judeo-Christian values that have built this nation. These businesses love the country, the Constitution, and the values that it protects. And ultimately, this marketplace exists so that a network of millions of consumers can feel like they have a voice with their purchases. For a long time, the American polis that loves freedom and liberty and knows the author of liberty, that's the reason we love liberty, by the yeah. way. We know the author. Right. I wouldn't love liberty for liberty's sake, but my faith informs the liberty that this country yeah. has for a long time protected, but as of late has seemingly antagonized. That group of consumers needs to be able to put their money behind their values in such a way that they are able to fund companies that will support those values and not fund companies that will stand opposed to those values. So if you look back this summer and you look at Bud Light, for example, what they did and the decrease in market cap of over $26 billion ensuing through that very successful boycott, we want to be able to help take the next step though too, so that you're not just boycotting things. You're not just moving your money away from certain entities that have become corrupted and evil. You actually have a place you can move your money to that supports the values that you support. So at publicsq.com, we've created the nation's largest marketplace of those types of patriotic, freedom-loving, family-valuing businesses. We're over 65,000 vendors now, well over a million and a half members on the platform and just launched 14 months ago nationwide. So we're just getting started. We're early in this endeavor. We just uh, went public on the New York Stock Exchange this summer, yeah. and uh, it's another fun step in our journey. So lots of cool things happen in the land of Public Square. You are killing it, um, and that has happened very quickly. Let's talk about Bud Light for a second because you mentioned that do you get a sense and you mentioned 26 billion dollars of market share lost is that resonating in the corporate world where like maybe we need to uh you know slow our roll on all this um 
woke evangelism? It definitely is waking them up to a degree. The interesting thing will be whether or not they double down or whether or not they'll kind of say, you know what, this is just the bed we've made. We have to lay in it now. What's interesting about the world of... I'll say capital markets, because that's really what's driving a lot of this, is the ESG and DEI philosophies at the capital markets level. What's interesting about that world at the moment is become, it's, it's become less about profits and more about evangelism of a certain set of ideas. So back in the 1980s, there was a move in the United States economy away from shareholder capitalism, which is the capitalism that we're all familiar with in value, where a company's only responsibility is to provide maximum value to their customers and to their shareholders. That should be it. That's shareholder capitalism. We moved from that, which is pure and wonderful and how it should be, because you can't win unless you're providing value, to stakeholder capitalism, which is this idea that in order to operate in a functioning economy, we can't just provide value. We have to factor in all these other external stakeholders like the climate or marginalized communities or social justice causes or the certain political candidate for the regime. So you see these companies like Bank of America, Chase, uh, Light, Anheuser-Busch, Target, Ben & Jerry's. You see all these companies that have been so dominated by DEI and ESG, which we can talk about more if you'd like. Yeah. Um, you've seen companies dominated by these philosophies that are, by the way, totally atheistic in nature. I mean, if you look at ESG, it's basically a cult unto yeah. a god that is not ours. Yeah, and, and I'm going to pause you there just to make sure that we're bringing people along because you're deep in the weeds, but I don't think everybody can tell you what... DEI and ESG means. So will you explain Absolutely. those terms and how those are relevant to this entire phenomenon? Absolutely. And by the way, they're relevant not just in the economy, but in school systems. Right. CRT, all of this comes out of DEI. So D DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion. The principles uh, of this philosophy, uh, if you even could call them that, are largely centered around affirmative action, social engineering. DEI is basically manufactured racism at a corporate level. Because what a company will say is, rather than just hiring the best people, I have to fill my diversity quota. Right. United Airlines came out two years ago and they said, we have made it our goal by 2030 to have 50% colored pilots. Which, by the way, sounds like kind of a racist statement. Like, why are we talking about color like that? We didn't used to do, I thought we left this. That's a perfect example of DEI, manufacturing your clientele or your um, um, employment ecosystem in order to meet certain diversity quotas. Equity is manufactured outcomes. And a lot of that is LGBT now. Absolutely. It's not race. I would say maybe even more of it at this point is. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the I was actually on a flight recently and the pilot was trans, quote unquote. And uh, I don't believe trans is even a thing, uh, but they were trans and they made a whole announcement of it. Like, the, this is equity on display. You, this person wasn't chosen right now because of their ability. They were yeah. chosen because they could parade as a, another point on the DEI Don't score. you love being on an airplane where the person flying the thing wasn't necessarily the best one for the job? My so. wife and I held hands and we prayed before we flew. Uh, and, you know, because I just, yeah. I, I saw it. It's a breakdown of meritocracy yeah. and excellence. And finally, inclusion is really centered around stifling conservative voices, making space, quote unquote. If you ever hear that phrase, making space. We need to make space for X voices. That's generally something rooted in DEI, and it's, it's a mess. And all it actually means is that you have to be silent, white man. You have to be silent, Christian. You have to be silent, conservative, because you've had your time. That's the perspective of yeah. DEI. ESG, <clears throat> little different. 
it stands for environmental, social, and governance. Environmental speaks to a business's quote unquote responsibility to be a caretaker of the environment. Why should a software company feel any responsibility to care for the environment outside of just the normal duties of being a good human? The government and major actors in our economy want you in your company to be a weaponized arm of the regime for their political purposes, meaning you got to limit your carbon emissions. You have to donate to these certain causes and candidates. And if you don't, you're going to have a low environmental on the ESG score. Social is the S. Social speaks largely to the DEI side of things. It's the social engineering within your workplace or within your clientele. So you have major banks coming out and saying that we are going to, Wells Fargo, only give mortgages uh, for this rate to a certain skin color. We are going to specifically focus on gay-owned businesses. Like this is very social uh, from the ESG engineering and they'll get extra points for doing that. And then finally, governance. Governance relates to who runs your company. So. Um, if you look at some of the companies that have majorly high ESG scores and really focus on governance, you have companies that have diversity officers and inclusion specialists, and they do yearly consulting with people that come in and basically tell everyone how racist they are and needing to make space for LGBTQIA and all these different things. Those ESG and DEI, these acronyms, ultimately create a score system. So if a company has a high ESG score, they can get favor from financial institutions. And if they have low ESG scores, they can actually face the brunt of financial institutions. They don't get loans at the same rate, etc. Tying all this together to Bud Light. Anheuser-Busch as a company has pursued stakeholder capitalism. They had a decrease of market cap of $26 billion. And rather than apologizing and repenting and firing their CEO and cleaning up the mess, they basically said, you know what? We've lost this sector. That's all right. Bud Light's gone. All right. Time to position over. They, 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 it's like they don't even care anymore that their sales have gone down 30% since last year. Is that because they just are real believers in the cause and they would rather i mean in a in a christian context we actually see that as we realize there's a cost of discipleship and we're saying you know when you are pursuing and fighting for the truth there is going to be a consequence because we live in a spiritual war which becomes a culture war and we disciple people into understanding your life is not going to be easy is this a left-wing version of that that bud light is basically demonstrating is we believe this is the truth we know we're in a war and we are willing to take on casualties so to speak because we are so committed to our set of ideas i could not have said it better it's a religion it's no longer a political party. It's no longer a political ideology. It is a religion. When you have major corporate CEOs that are brilliant, by the way, like brilliant. Jamie Dimon is one of the smartest people on this planet. Really smartest people of the last 200 years. Jamie Dimon is absolutely brilliant. At Bud Light. Uh, no, or, sorry. CEO of Chase. Chase. J.P. Morgan okay. Chase. Yeah. But this is guy, he's you know on the forefront of DEI and ESG. Um, the, but even the CEO of Bud Light, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a uh, he, former CIA, uh, big hotshot university guy. Really, all these guys are super smart. Um, when these people can't say a man is a man and they can't tell you that there's only two genders, you've seen that they've lost their reason to a religion. And it's exactly your point. They, they feel like it would be better to double down on the tenets of their religion than slap their religion in the face. If we're, you know, think of it this way. We as Christians, if you were 
put into an environment where uh, you were getting criticized for your faith and sort of backed into a corner. You, do you double down or do you compromise? I mean, for some of these guys, like the Target CEO, we have a lot of insiders at Target that send us weekly messages of the emails that they're receiving. These people view it as a religion and the CEO is a, an evangelist for it. And so it's very hard to change those companies, even when their profit losses are staring them in the face. What'll be interesting to witness They've abdicated responsibility. So Anheuser-Busch just recently fired 350 employees at corporate level. They just said, you're gone, you're out. We actually reached out to some of those employees, got a few of them jobs, which was pretty cool. But what's fascinating is that the CEO still has his job. The CFO still has his job. None of them are leaving. It's the 350. That can't stand forever. Eventually, that's going to come for you. So what will be really fascinating is if when these executives' backs are up to the wall, do they actually stand at the end of the day? Or uh, do they cave and kind of see the light? You mentioned the emails you've seen from kind of inside of Target. And that's a company that appears to me to be run by people who are true believers. Mm -hmm. I also have this hypothesis, and I want to see if you agree with this, that some of these companies, it's more just about social circles. It's not that these guys are actually like true believers, like they're, you know, rainbow, whatever flag, like we're, we're, we're all in on this, but... That's kind of the circle that they run in, mm-hmm. and they don't want to have their social circle, cocktail party, yacht party, friends look down their nose at them by not embracing this. So they just kind of, for personal social reasons, are inclined to cooperate th- with this. How many of them do you think are doing this for like, it's just a little bit easier even if we're losing money for me personally, as opposed to... I am all in, this is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm committed to all of it. I think in, let's say, the Fortune 500, I'd say that it's probably 30% true ideologue believers, 70% CEOs that don't want to do this, and yet they have a diversity officer that's basically got them at gunpoint and says, if you make a bad statement, if you move away I don't like, if you at all make us feel, quote, marginalized, will ruin your career. And you'll not be invited to the parties, you'll not be invited. There's actually a a well-known democratic voice that's here at Family Research Council this weekend at the same hotel because there's a DNC event happening across the way. And I've known this guy for a while. He disagrees with most of his party. He's actually a Robert Kennedy fan. So he's uh, leading Robert Kennedy's outreach effort. And when he came here for the DNC, the DNC wouldn't let him in. Said, oh, nope, you've disagreed at all with us. You're completely excommunicated. What did the Family Research Council do? Said, well, come over here. We'd love to talk to you. And we don't agree with you on lots of things, but let's have conversation. Let's break bread. You're welcome here. That's the difference of these two worlds. If a conservative disagrees with you, we'll invite you to the table. We'll want to have conversation. And as a believer, I'm going to try to change their mind. I'm going to try to show them the light. The left doesn't do that. The minute you speak out of line, the minute you criticize their golden calves, these gender ideology stuff, I mean, the minute you uh, at all state, even sort of casually or offhandedly, that, yeah, maybe ESG is not that big of a deal, you're gone. And I think that that's why you see a lot of these CEOs that know better. I don't know what's worse, by the way, a CEO that knows better and yet still chooses cowardice or a true ideologue. Well, that is frankly a scenario that a lot of people are familiar with because I think what DEI does, DEI... Uh, it basically is a way of holding hostage the reputation of these companies. Mm-hmm. And they said, we are ranking you 
and we are going to talk about you publicly, you better make sure that the things that we say about you are good. And that scenario is frankly really relatable because that's basically what most of America is dealing with. The church, that, that is happening all over the church, right? right? Where pastors are in a situation as well of like, I really want to be generally liked. I'm afraid if I cross a certain line or say a particular thing that I think is going to be divisive, that uh, people are going to ruin my reputation, which is basically what you know Guido from DEI whatever yep. is doing. Is basically saying it's a nice reputation you have there. Be a shame if something happened to it yeah. with my DEI score. So just stay in line. But our, we're at a point, though it seems, where you know we're we're talking right now about these CEOs and shame on them. But there's a lot of us in the church who are frankly trying to pursue neutrality. It seems in the same way by we just want you to not hate me and not say bad things about me so i'm kind of inclined to do whatever you want me to do yep that's exactly right and it it concerns me about the church that we've had a lot of pastors be so incentivized to be super liked rather than just simply speak the truth but isn't that an informal kind of dei it absolutely is oh yeah they're just not as intentional about it no obvious Mm -mm. it's not as obvious it's not as defined it's more subtle uh, but you, you, you absolutely see this even on our side to a degree. Um, you see it in the church. You see a lot of, I, I know many pastors personally who now have been almost structured like CEOs because these mega churches are massive operations and you have a pastor who wants to grow the numbers because his board sort of demands it. I mean, it's literally like a company. Mm-hmm. Versus, in my mind, a church, the real responsibility of a pastor should simply be, are you shepherding the flock well? Are more of the flock falling in love with the way, the truth, and the life and devoting their life to the principles that God has established? Can you see holiness in the body? Like these are things that should guide our sort of litmus test of whether or not a pastor is being successful. And unfortunately, it's changed. And so if a pastor speaks out of line in a way that could maybe offend some of the, oh, nope, not allowed to do it. And I think that um, one thing that's interesting to witness in corporate America is that you are, it's always bathed in a false sense of virtue as well, because like you look at some of the companies that have the highest ESG score, FTX, are you familiar with FTX? This is the crypto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so last year, for anybody who's not familiar, FTX is a big crypto scam that was worth billions of dollars, run by a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, this 29-year-old kid who basically tanked the crypto economy through his scams, ran a massive money laundering operation like the world's never seen. Tom Brady Mm -hmm. got hosed on it. All these big celebrities were involved. Well, funny enough, he had the highest ESG score of any company in the country. Highest ESG score. And clearly governance was not that important to him because he had basically no board. Uh, And so all this, anything they always tell you that they're doing, if you look behind the scenes and you look close enough, they're doing the opposite. These buzzwords don't actually speak to anything real. And that's consistent throughout culture. Planned parenthood. Like, planned parenthood doesn't help you plan parenthood. Like, there's no such thing in the word. They, they terminate your baby. Like, uh, it, we see uh, social justice when actually it's not social justice at all. It's the very opposite. Justice is supposed to be impartial. And the whole principle of social justice is that it's actually very partial. And so, you know, our, our message is very simply, guys, we've got to go back to the basics. Like, excellence, meritocracy, these things, love for country and constitution, these things are going to be our way forward. And if we do not prioritize them, we're going to have our incentive structure all out of whack. So I think we have 
done a good job kind of diagnosing and understanding the problem and how kind of corporate America got to be where it is. But you are trying to be a solution to that problem. How how far are we, how close are we to this goal of creating a parallel economy where people can live their life without fear of getting canceled mm-hmm. and they can get the service products that they need um, from banking institutions and, you know, contractors or whatever and also being able to say i'm spending my money in places that i don't think i'm funding both sides of this war because i think you have a lot of people who give money to conservative christian causes and uh with their philanthropy and then with all of their spending they're actually funding the people who are trying to you know destroy them that's exactly right proverbs 3 9 honor god with your wealth and it's very hard to honor god with my wealth when i am spending money on corruption and you know, one important note, too, is, is uh, you know, Paul talks in the Bible about how if there's meat that's sacrificed for idols and it's really your only option, like it's not sinful to eat the meat. I think there's a there's a level of that that's important to understand that, like, just because we can't do everything overnight doesn't mean we shouldn't start somewhere. Where I really feel convicted is if I have other options and I'm choosing the evil one. So, for example, if I have other options for coffee and I'm drinking a Starbucks, when I know willingly that Starbucks gives money to abortion, they actually match employee contributions to Planned Parenthood and have weaponized their entire staff over the years for crazy purposes like defund the police, women's reproductive health care, quote unquote. I mean, it's just, it's a total mess. If I know that there's a better life affirming, wonderful alternative that I can find on public square, any other source that does not act like Starbucks and I still choose Starbucks because it's just quick and convenient. That to me is where, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've really, I've really given my money over to bail. That's different than like, I'm using an iPhone and I, I, because I can't get away from my iPhone, then I'm not going to care about any of this. I think it's really important for folks to realize that you asked how close are we. Yeah. While we don't have an iPhone competitor yet, while we're using MacBooks and Microsoft, and these companies really don't like us, and make that very clear very often. If you saw Apple's recent ad last week, I mean, it was a total mess. Basically, a worshiping service to Mother Nature, they called her. Um, just because we can't get alternatives to those things today doesn't mean we don't start somewhere. So what we've tried to do at Public Square is to create a network of businesses that help you start somewhere, that help you move your purchase for the cup of coffee or the watch that you're buying. I'm wearing a watch right now from a company on Public Square. They're amazing. They state their entire company on their love for quality products, and they protect children, victims of sex trafficking, with every purchase. It's an amazing company, an amazing organization called eGuard Watch Company. The shoes I'm wearing, John Candor. Anything I do, these little purchases I can make day by day, the toilet paper our family buys now is from a business on Public Square. The diapers we wear for our baby girl from a business on Public Square. We try as much as we can for these daily purchases to one by one shift things over to our values. Now, 14 months after this journey has started with Public Square, we're in a position where most things I do throughout the day, I'm spending money on an entity that I can feel really proud to back. I can put purpose behind my purchase because I know there's trust implemented in all these transactions. If I'll start there, eventually we're going to have an alternative to this because I'm empowering the alternative economy. And that to me is really, really exciting. Yeah. And when he says he has an alternative, yes, he holds up his iPhone. Yes. Yes. Exactly right. We are all looking for an alternative to the iPhone. I'm actually an Android guy, which is not morally, I think, any better, (laughs) but I I still argue superior technology. Nice. Um, But you mentioned, you know, the the progress that that we're making. What I'm 
curious about is whether there is a demographic in the business space that is actually like at its core sympathetic to what you're trying to accomplish, but unwilling to like totally sign up because they're still trying to maintain neutrality. Because we've talked a lot about these businesses, the, the Targets, the Disneys, the Bud Lights, and they're all in on the left. You're trying to find people who are kind of all in on the other side. There's still this big space, at least theoretically in the middle, that I think a lot of people are still trying to occupy. Is I don't want to be identified with either side, I just want to sell widgets and I want people to leave me alone. Does that space actually exist? Are business owners in a position where you just got to pick and you got to move on instead of trying to like straddle the fence? That's a great question. I would note that even us as a company, you know, we have over 65,000 vendors, which makes us the largest compilation of these types of small businesses the country's ever seen. We've become the new chamber of commerce, which is another exciting point to this um, when you think of like political and social ramifications moving forward. But we wouldn't even consider ourselves political. In fact, we never brand ourselves as an app. If you go to publicsq.com or you download the app, you'll never see conservative on there. You'll see our values. Our values are what guide us. They're five principles that really just paraphrase the Constitution. And for us, we're, we're taking a much more principled than political approach. Most of the businesses, I'd say probably 90% of the businesses on the platform, if you just stumbled upon them throughout your day to day, you'd never know that they have any political leanings. They don't wear it. They don't advertise it. They're on the platform, so you know, and they've signed up, and they've been vetted in alignment with these values. But they don't, you know, the Italian coffee shop in my neighborhood that's run by a second-generation American citizen, uh, immigrant from Italy family that runs an incredible coffee shop, loves the country, feels so grateful for the United States, very conservative in their own personal views, all of that. Donates to women in crisis, like an incredible, incredible coffee shop, great coffee. That company, you walk in and you don't see anything that says right-wing coffee at all. And I think, to your question, the, the marketplace we have created is actually very different than basically the right-wing version of ESG or DEI because ESG and DEI require you to do things. You have to limit your emissions to X. You have to donate money to X. You have to make sure that you are hiring along this quota. You have to do all these different things to stay in the good graces of the DEI and ESG cult. On our marketplace, it's actually the very opposite. It's you don't have to do anything. We're asking you to not do a few things that will help our consumers know with blessed assurance that they're not going to fund a company that's going to stand against them. So the majority of the companies on our platform, the plumber, the electrician, the car mechanic, you walk in and uh, you don't feel like you're shopping at the right wing version of something else. You feel like you're shopping at a great quality business that brings things back to basics because that's at the core of conservatism. We like to conserve. What are we conserving? We're conserving shareholder capital capitalism, excellence, meritocracy in the workplace, honoring your customers and the services that you're providing with quality and integrity, being honest in what you display. These principles are ones that the left no longer adopts, but we certainly do. The last thing I'd mention is that 73% of Americans, according to a 5W consumer relations poll in 2020, say that they actively factor in the values a company espouses before they shop there. 73%. Now, for a lot of us, we do this subconsciously. Where's my products made? Who makes them? How are they sourced? What ingredients are in them? Uh, we make value judgments all the time. It's kind of natural that we would also make one in this hyper-politicized era of like, do these people hate me? Like that's kind of a good yeah. litmus test to ask before I shop for something. And actually, 73% is the broader American polis, but 81% is millennials. So it's only becoming more so a values-driven economy. And there was a time when it was basically like, just show me whatever's cheapest and quickest to my house. 
But that type of economy has made us all kind of feel icky. Nobody likes shopping from Amazon, regardless of political affiliation. Nobody really feels good about it in your soul. It's a bunch of cheap crap made from countries that hate us. So you don't really feel good about it. You just do it because it's like, dang it, I forgot that at the grocery store. I need to get that, so I'll ship it to my house, and a drone delivers it, right? Uh, but what we're seeing is that the economy is shifting much more back to a small business focus, family-owned and operated. Who's that business on your street corner protecting the middle class? There's this sort of populist revolt against the establishment system that has basically forced us to choose to buy from only two or three different companies for all of our needs, and consumers don't want it anymore. As that backlash is ensuing, and by the way, it's not just ensuing in the economy. Think of the different entertainment uh, vectors that have blown up recently. Richmond, north of Richmond, a populist revolt. Sound of Freedom, eclipsing Indiana Jones and other Disney movies with one one one-hundredth of the budget. There's this whole cultural zeitgeist moment moving folks away from the corrupted institutions that have plagued our society, even while they've offered some benefit over the past few decades. Public Square, our goal, simply put, is to be the receiving end of that interest. When folks say, I'm done with the Bud Lights, I'm tired of supporting companies that are going to try to lecture me, they go and Public Square experienced an 800% increase in searches for beer the next day. When Target did what they did and they tried to lecture your kids about gender ideology with tucking underwear and talking to your kids about sexuality, we saw 300,000 new members sign up in a week. We were ranked above Target on the App Store for four weeks. There was a revolt against that, and we were the landing pad for it. What did folks find when they came to us? They didn't find companies lecturing their kids about gender on our side. They found companies that are like, I'm not going to talk to your kid about gender. Like, that's actually not my responsibility as a company. (laughs) That's what they're finding. And I think that that, uh, that's really refreshing for a lot of folks. Michael, there are, I am sure, aspiring entrepreneurs who are excited about this potential and joining... A, a, a parallel economy of sorts, but but a, a world in which it, you know, the corporate world is not fighting against just decency. Where are the holes that you see? You've got tens of thousands of companies in your network already. Where's the need? The first thing that comes, there are uh, quite a few. The first thing that comes to mind, because we are so early in this, by the way. I mean, this is like beginning of the Oregon Trail, just heading west. We hear there's a world out there, and we're going to embark upon it. We've experienced, you know, we hit a million members faster than Twitter, Airbnb, Spotify did. Like, we've experienced exponential growth, and yet I feel like we have barely scratched the surface. We're still in the early adopter phase. So there are still a lot of holes that we're encouraging folks, entrepreneurs, business owners, hey, go and fill these. Because if you do, you're going to experience not only a very liberating experience, because you get to live out your values unafraid and help people know that they're not going to be canceled for theirs. But on top of that, it's very lucrative. Areas in which we find greatest need, software is a massive one. Like the world of software has largely been dominated by a few monopolies over the past 20 years. And if you look at the engineers in the ranks, the thousands of software engineers, developers, programmers, designers that have built these companies, the vast majority of them do not agree with the values at the top. Values at the top look like hyper-progressive activism. Most of the engineers can't stand it. Target has a Telegram channel of over 700 conservatives at corporate that are like, dude, we are not with this. And they just all day go back and forth. Complain. about the, They complain, exactly. So our encouragement to those folks is like, yeah. guys, you're brilliant. You, like, you have incredible skills, yeah. leave, go start your own thing for those two APIs or the two system integrating uh, pieces that you need or a new CRM for this tool. Uh, 
that world of software for business services that really power a lot of the infrastructure economy in the in the digital space are in desperate need of our of people that share our values. Another big one I'd say is um, financial services. You know, we need more people in the financial services world, financial advisors, wealth managers, etc., to kind of stand up and say, "Hey, godly principles have to lead the way again." Um, and then finally, the the third one that comes to mind is you know, there's a lot of people in the uh, household good space that we're needing to step up. A lot of the direct-to-consumer world has been dominated by the Procter & Gamble's. So, you know, small company starts up, beautiful values, Christian family, all the things, and then Procter & Gamble or Unilever come, scoop them up, bring them under the umbrella. Before you know it, they're donating to abortion. They've lost the way. So those household goods need to come back. Uh, ultimately, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And so I'm excited for, now that our eyes are open, I'm excited for a migration of wealth, entrepreneurship, innovation from the wicked to those that are standing for truth. Yeah. Michael, this gives us a great vision for how to live intentionally. Um, for those who are, not everybody's an entrepreneur, and not everybody's going to start a company or, or develop software, but we all are going to live and we're going to buy things and we're going to do things. And I think this gives us a great vision for how to... Um, do so not passively and, and not just accept the world as it is, but realize we have the ability to change that. And that is, frankly, once we have the knowledge to do what is right, we then have the obligation to do what is right. Michael Seifert, uh, Public Square is just a great service. In Thank that you. Effort, and, and we are grateful to you and, and how God's using you and the vision that he's given you and the energy and the excitement about, hey, we can make the world. We do not have to accept the world as it is. It can be different. And frankly, there are more of us than there are of them. And so we are, we are getting organized now, and you're really helping us do that. So really appreciate your time and all you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it, Joseph. Thank Great you, to brother. talk to everybody. And thank you, friends, for uh, joining this conversation. As always, if you've learned something, somebody else is going to, so share it with them. Uh, go ahead and give us a review wherever you found our podcast, and you can reach out if you want to yell at me, complain, or suggest a different topic. You can email me, outstanding, at WashingtonStand.com. It's been a pleasure to be with you. As always, we look forward to next time. I'm Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.